Happy end of January to you all. How about that, huh? This is the last week in the month of January, and we set aside some time in this month to talk about our vision and uh, what we believe God is doing in our church as a body, but just to, just to enhance our vision to see what God's doing in general and, and how he can give us an understanding of that. And when we started right after the new year, we, we kind of talked about a theme that I see God moving our church into an area now where it's time to uh, really branch out and move forward with the things that he's taught us. God's done a lot of great things in the last four years since I've been here. And um, this year we kind of set the theme out of the book of James talking about being doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. And so I just want to encourage everybody to be thinking about how God is speaking to your heart and how he's using his word and that we don't just hear it and say, yeah, that was a cool piece of information, but how can we really apply that in our lives? The next week we kind of came back and we talked about the path of growth. We talked about how God gives us some specific steps and how we grow up. And if you notice coming in, I don't know how you couldn't have noticed, we have four very large red circles on the wall in the lobby that kind of define for us kind of how we see these steps of natural growth and spiritual maturity. And we spent an hour a couple of weeks ago just talking about how that really lays out biblically. Last week, we spent a little time just talking about biblical stewardship. And as we were talking about stewardship last week, the thing that we kind of understood first and foremost is, is that God is the one who owns everything, right? And we recognize that. He, he owns it all, and he has just given to us the stewardship, the management of whatever it is he's entrusted to us to manage for him for this certain period of time. And we understood through that that, that we are, biblically, to be content with the things that he's given us. Whether you are the steward of much or whether you are the steward of little, whatever it is we can be thankful for and we need to be content with that, that's what he desires. Then I spent some time kind of just talking to you about how that applies on a corporate level. And I spent a good bit of time about how pastors are the ordained stewards of the corporate business of the body of the church. And, and I understand that while I was going through that last week, even it, it kind of hit me like, well, you know, most of the people sitting here don't have that job. I have that job. And maybe you were here and maybe you were thinking, okay, cool. Uh, that doesn't apply to me. Um, why would I do that? Well, why, the reason I just want to explain to you the reason I did that is because first off, it's biblical and we should understand what the Bible says. But second off, I just want you to understand that this is God's plan and that I do understand that and that I, together with the other pastors and leaders, uh, we do take very, very seriously the stewardship that God has entrusted to us here through First Baptist Church. And so when we come before um, decisions that need to be made specifically concerning our resources, um, as well as all of our time and talents and that sort of thing as well, that we take those things very, very seriously and that we literally do what we talked about last week, and that is we do measure the results of the things that we invest in uh, on the basis of the objectives that God gives to us clearly in his word. And so that's kind of why we spent a little time last week doing that and then rolled into the last part, which will enter into our message for today, and that is how we are to invest. And God specifically tells us how we are to invest the stewardship that he has entrusted to us with the specific goal of multiplication. Uh, when he entrusts what he entrusts to you, he doesn't entrust it to you just to go hide it. And, and, to, and to protect it with all your might. He entrusts it to you to invest it so that it'll yield some sort of a multiplicative return. And that's really what we want to talk about today. And the subject of the day is biblical investing. 
Now, everybody here understands the principle of investing, and, and many, if not all of you, are probably involved in some sort of an investment program. If you're, if you're a working person, if you're old enough and have a regular job, you probably have some savings account. You're probably in some 401k plan or some uh, individual retirement account, and you're saving for your retirement. You're saving for your kid's education. You're saving for the different things that you're saving for. Uh, there's TV commercials out all the time talking about, you know, uh, what's your number? What's the amount that you have to, to save in order to be able to retire in a manner that you'd like to retire, you know, and, and, and all the steps that you need to take to do that. Um, so what you do if you cooperate with that plan and you decide I'm going to save for retirement or whatever it is, is that you willingly choose now to do without certain things because you're laying it up in store for a time typically after age 65 and you retire from your job and and you're going to enjoy it later. You're going to enjoy it for however long you get to enjoy it after that, 10, 20 years, whatever the Lord gives you. And um, so that's that's what he does. And, And in order to be able to do that, in order to be involved, and I realize the economy's bad, a lot of people have a hard time doing that today. But if, if you're involved in a retirement investment, for example, it requires discipline, does it not? And, and really, the, the best way that I've ever heard um, somebody define discipline is simply delayed gratification. And doesn't that make sense? Because if you have discipline in some matter, it means that you are going to delay the gratification, the benefit that you get, until some later time. You don't necessarily need to receive that benefit immediately. So today, what we want to do is talk about investing in the kingdom of God, and specifically investing our resources. Now, when we talk about investing our resources, a lot of people get really uncomfortable. We talk about the issue of giving in a church, and, and, and people get a little nervous, and I think maybe, maybe one of the reasons why is that you see stuff like this. Friend, God wants to bless you, friend. And in order for God to bless you, First, you're going to have to send in your seed money. You're going to have to send your seed money to my account. And when you send it to my account, friend, then God will multiply it to your account. Don't you realize that in the Bible that talks about the prophet Elijah, and the prophet Elijah went and he met this widow woman. And when he met the widow woman, she was very poor and and she only had enough food to be able to make one last meal for her and her poor little son and they were going to die of starvation. And the prophet told the widow woman, you make that cake and you give it to the prophet first. And when you make that cake and give it to the prophet first, then God will multiply it to you. Yes, he will. And that's what you need to do, friends. You need to give what little you have to the prophet. When you give it to the prophet, God will give it back to you. In fact, we have today for just (laughs) $29.95 this miracle prayer hanky. Yes, We have prayed over this miracle prayer hanky. And I want you to know that for your gift of $29.95 or more, cash, check, or credit card, we will mail you one of these hankies, and it will do miracles. If you have a sick part on your body, you just lay that hanky on there, and it'll heal that part of your body. In fact, mamas, you can rub this rag over the, the faces of your ugly babies, and they'll become beautiful. Now, if you see stuff like that, you think, there is no way I'm sending my hard-earned money to people like that. Amen? 
I would say amen. The, the problem is, is that there's people who see stuff like that, and sadly, stuff like that really happens. You watch some of the crazy TV shows. Some people say, you know what, I'm not going to spend any of my hard-earned money on anybody. I'm not giving it to anybody. And, and what they do is when they make decisions like that, they, they forget the very first principle we talked about. And that was, it, it's not your money. God owns it all. And you're just a steward. And, and that's an important thing. Listen, giving to the work of the Lord does not need to be a bummer. It does not need to be a stressful situation. It does not need to be difficult. Truly, it's just good planning. It's just smart, quite frankly. And today, I want you to understand that we're not talking about giving a gift, but we're talking about investing for a return. That's really the principle that God gives us, and he assures us in his word that we invest in his kingdom that literally that resource goes on ahead and is waiting for us in heaven. I want to draw your attention to Matthew chapter 6 and verses 19 and 20. If you have your Bibles, just take a look there. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 says this. Notice the words. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But, notice, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Who are the treasures in heaven for? For yourselves. Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Do you believe that? I do. In fact, I could say, honestly, before you today, that when I see that, when I understand that, I, there is a level of selfish motivation in giving to the work of the Lord. I, I would confess to you that every time that I invest in God's kingdom, it is not 100% philanthropic. It's not 100% charitable. And some of you are thinking, oh, he's the pastor. If you were honest, you, you might agree with me. Um, and you know what? What's wrong, by the way, with having a win-win situation? Is there something inherently ungodly about the fact that we can give to the work of the Lord, support ministry opportunities for people to be able to use here and now around the world in different places like we're invested in Mongolia, for example, we mentioned earlier, and then also still to have rewards and treasures laid up for us in eternity that actually we get to benefit from, and we're going to see exactly what that means before today's over. Is there anything wrong with a win-win situation? Those of you involved in business dealings, you understand that those are the best kind of business deals you can get involved in, right? And we see that that's exactly the way God, of course there's nothing wrong with it. God set it up that way. He set it up and he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth that will ultimately just fade away, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I have a good friend who coined this phrase, and I repeat it on occasion, and he says this, he says, there's only two kinds of Christians in the world. There's selfish Christians, and there's really, really selfish Christians. Which one are you? And you know what? I mean, honestly, I would have to say for sure. I mean, I'm selfish. Listen, we're all selfish, right? I mean, be honest. We, we all think of ourselves 
first and foremost. That's why the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody loves themselves, of course. But the really, really selfish Christians would be the ones who would look at the panorama in front of them and just say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not giving them my money. I'm just not doing it. I'm not investing. I'm not going to do it. And, uh, and that's a real problem. In fact, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I think that people who read the Bible and, and understand these simple principles as we'll look at today and then make those decisions to say, I'm just not doing it. I just can't afford it or whatever the case might be. It's, it's just not good planning. It, it's just not real smart. And I uh, just want to try and encourage you today because there are, interestingly, some Christian people, obviously, who say they love God with all their heart, mind, and soul. They say they believe his word. And, for example, they could be people who are highly disciplined in bodily exercise but seem to have no discipline whatsoever in godliness when God says godliness is more important. Or they could be highly disciplined in matters of retirement, college fund savings, and yet have no discipline whatsoever in kingdom investments. And, and I just find that hard to understand. So my question for all of us today is, and we're going to address it in two specific ways, why should I invest in God's kingdom? Okay, we'll look at those two points in just a second. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we address this situation today, again, our, our theme that we're talking about this month is just to gain vision. And so our prayer is that you open our eyes. Our prayer is that you help us to see what you see, obviously, and have communicated to us clearly in your word. And I pray, God, that as we begin to see your perspective on our stewardship of resources, that it's truly an investment. It's not just a gift that goes away, but it's, it's laid up in store. I, I do pray, God, that you would just change our hearts, that we would not just hear something, but that we would really experience it, that we would connect with you, that we would get your heart, and that through that we would then be changed, that we could not walk out of here the same way that we walked in, but we will be more focused on the world that we can now see through our spiritual eyes because you're going to give that to us. So we thank you in advance for what you're going to do, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, why should I invest in God's kingdom? The very first reason we're going to look at is to lead your heart, to be able to lead your heart. It's been said that God is not interested in raising money. God is interested in raising children. God, above all else, wants your heart. Completely undivided, total devotion of your heart to him. But at the same time, God who made us and understands the consequences of our sin, understands this principle, like it says in Jeremiah 17, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so God knows it. He knows our heart. We are deceived by our heart. Our heart is deceitful. It's hard for us to know our own heart, let alone some other human being's heart. God who made us is the only one. He, he also knows that material wealth, it's a slippery slope. It, it really is. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, but they that will be rich, stop there for a second. You don't have to be rich to want to be. You may be rich 
and want to be more so. They that will be rich, God addresses, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. That's not good. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Nothing wrong with money. It's just the love of it. Which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. I want you to notice this. It starts out and it says this, Mortify, put to death, therefore your members which are upon the earth. And he gives a list. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. That's a word that literally has to do with excesses of desire, typically of a sexual nature, not, not exclusively. And covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So it says that covetousness in Colossians chapter 3 is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Idolatry, by the way, is the very first commandment of the Big Ten. The Ten Commandments, the very first commandment in Exodus chapter 20 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. To have any other God before the God is idolatry. And Paul gives us further revelation here in Colossians where he says, you want to know what idolatry is today? It may not be some statue made of stone or brass or wood that people bow down to and light candles to. There's people that still do that. I get it. But for those of us, we don't do that. But yet to have idols in our life, he points to material things, the love of money those that will be rich. They build it up as an idol. He says covetousness for those things, it's idolatry. Um, By the way, did you notice the other things on the list? Did you notice the things that covetousness is lumped together with? Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. Affection, by the way, is an issue of the heart. We're talking about how we're ultimately going to lead our heart. We're talking about how God wants the totality of devotion of our hearts. Inordinate affection, literally, together with the evil concupiscence, might be in those categories like homosexuality, incest, terrible things that go on under those categories. And These are the things that are associated together. These are things that affect your heart. These are things that your heart can desire more than God. Let me ask you a question. Would you allow the same level of compromise in some of those sexual sin areas that maybe you allow in the areas of covetousness and material possessions. It's so funny in this wealthy Western civilization in this time in which we live that we're so surrounded by so much opulence and excess that we somehow just think that it's okay, I'm not as bad as this other guy. And, and, and we think that, you know, well, okay, I, yeah, I love all that stuff, but, yeah, but I love God too. If we replaced the covetousness at whatever degree or level we allow ourselves to covet things, I just got to have, and you fill in the blank, 
would we allow that same level of compromise and just, you know, fornication, inordinate affection? Would you really be friends with people who allowed that small, just, just, just a little fornication, not a lot. You wouldn't be friends with those people. And so, somehow or another, this thing about the material wealth, it's, God knows our hearts. He knows it's a slippery slope. But there is good news, obviously, and he has a solution for us, and it's the next verse. We went, started in Matthew 6. We go back to Matthew 6 and verse 21 this time, and it says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice, please, it doesn't say where your heart is, there will your treasure be. It says where your treasure is, the treasure is placed first, there will your heart be also. So biblically, your heart follows your treasure. That makes sense, right? Anytime any of us invest in anything, if we invest our material resources in any endeavor, your heart becomes very interested in how that investment is doing, right? If you invest in the stock exchange, you're going to read the Wall Street Journal. If you invest in a gym membership, you're probably more likely to go work out because you're spending money on it. If you invest in some large amount of equipment for your recreation, you're going to make sure you get your full use out of it because I spent a lot of money getting this equipment. Whatever you invest in, your heart naturally follows it. By the way, God made you that way. That's okay. He made you that way. And knowing that our heart's wicked, knowing that we're on a slippery slope, knowing that we live in a place and a time where it so draws our heart away, we have the ability to lead our hearts to the right place. You know people that invest in the kingdom of God have their hearts very interested in what God's doing. We're sending a team to Mongolia to do some physical construction after we together as a church raised a bunch of money and were able to give them a gift of $50,000. What a blessing. So many of you sacrificed to give to that. Your hearts are pointed towards Mongolia. This last year, we did it again for the Dominican Republic. Your hearts are pointed to these mission fields because you, you are invested in these things. And that's what God wants us to do. I want us to take another look at this story from another perspective, another principle. If you'll open to Luke chapter 12, I want us to look a similar passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 15. Jesus says in verse 15, He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And so, obviously, that's the key. He says, beware of covetousness. In other words, beware of investing treasure in yourself. Beware. It's slippery. It's dangerous. Beware of that. Your life is just not all about the things that you possess. Everybody would say, of course, we know that. Then he goes on from verses 16 on down, and he begins to to tell a parable. And, And if you looked at the scriptures, you'll see that basically the story goes like this. There's a certain rich man and he's got a lot of income, and he has great increase. He has great crops, great uh, return. And he says, look, I don't even have enough barns to store all the increase that I have. What am I going to do? He says, ah, I got it. I'm going to build more barns. And when I build more barns, I'll be able to fill them, and then I'll be able to look at my life and sit back and say, hey, man, you can take it easy. You got it stored up. 
And, and basically what we would say is building more barns, saving up for the future to be able to take it easy would be equivalent to our version of retirement savings. In this case, the response to that person in the story is, thou fool. Now before you run out of here and think I'm crazy for saying you're a fool for saving for retirement, I'm not saying that. We're going to get to the bottom of this thing, okay? Just understand now. Jesus said, thou fool, why? For this night your life will be required of you. In other words, you're not going to live long enough to be able to enjoy the savings. There's no guarantee how long you're going to be here, okay? But there is an eternity. And so it comes to the conclusion in verse number 21. Look at verse number 21. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, the issue is not laying up treasure for yourself. If you have the wherewithal and you have the ability to save for your retirement and to save for your kid's college and to save for vacations or whatever that is, that's fine. Just don't do that to the exclusion of being able to be rich toward God. Because when you do that, then you're the fool that he talks about in this story because your end is coming and you hope it's going to be way out in the future, but you don't know. You don't know. It could be very soon. And when you cross that line into eternity, sure would be nice if there was something there waiting for you. Sure would be nice. And so that's what the story's all about. He goes on then, starting in verse 22 and continuing on down, and he says, take no thought for your life. He's just, now he's teaching the lesson, okay? Take no thought for your life. In other words, he's talking about the food that you eat or for your body, for the clothes that you wear, Okay? Verse 23 says, the life is more than food and the body is more than raiment. Then he goes down in the next several verses and he he gives a couple examples. He says, consider the ravens. Look at the birds in the air. They don't have to have storage nests of savings laid up for them. God provides the food for them every single day. Don't you realize that you're so much more valuable than the ravens? He provides for them. He's certainly going to provide for you. And then he goes on, he says, consider the lilies of the field, a beautiful flower. They are clothed in beauty. And they don't toil, they don't spin. In other words, they don't have to go to work and and work a job where they have to work and spin and, and make themselves clothing. God clothes them in such a way that they're beautiful. In other words, the idea is, look, God will take care of you. He loves you more than the lilies. He loves you more than the lilies. And so with that, he goes on in verse 29 and he says, and seek not what you shall eat or what you shall drink. Neither be of a doubtful mind for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knoweth that you have need of these things. When it says the nations of the world That's talking about the Gentile nations. The nations of the world, that's the unbelieving population of the world. So basically Jesus is saying, don't worry about all this stuff. Don't fret and sweat over all how much I'm going to have reserves for all this stuff. He said, because people who don't believe in me do that. You got me on your side. There's no reason for you to worry about this. I'm going to take care of you, don't you realize? And that's what he's saying to them. Your father knows that you have need of these things. Last week, I reminded you of a verse in Hebrews 13 where it says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he said, I will never leave thee 
nor forsake thee. So Jesus is like, you've got me on your team now. I'm never going to leave you alone. David said in the Psalms, we saw it last week, I've been young, now I'm old, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God promises to take care of you. He really, really does. I'm not saying to be foolish with your resources. I think we need to be wise. I think we need to use the blessing of the stewardship and invest in things that matter. That's what I think God's trying to teach us. I think it's very clear. It goes down to verse 31. It says, but rather, here's what you shouldn't do. Let me tell you what you should do. Rather, seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things, in other words, all these material things we just got done talking about, all these things will be added unto you. And it goes down in verse 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So this is Luke's version of the same story we saw back in Matthew chapter 6. The deal is this. When we live our lives, okay, it's not the issue that it's evil to have. It certainly is not. It's a blessing to have. God has trusted us with that. It's not evil to save. That's a principle, right? I mean, we, we have the Dave Ramsey class teaching people how to be better stewards of what they have. Absolutely save. Absolutely work. That's fine. But don't do it to the exclusion of investing in God's kingdom because to do that is foolish. It's just foolish. You have no idea what a day might bring. Each and every one of us, if you haven't figured it out, friends, you've got to understand, each and every one of us are just one phone call away from our lives being turned upside down. You understand that? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen before you lay your head down tonight. That's just the way life is. So this whole idea of putting your money where your mouth is <laughs> concerning the kingdom of God and, and your love and devotion toward him, man, it's just a strategic way to protect your heart. It's a strategic way to put your resources in a place you know pleases God and is the right thing for now and later, and your heart will follow. It just will. And when you do that, it'll help you. That's one reason why you should invest in God's kingdom. A second reason why you should invest in God's kingdom is to lay up your inheritance. Now, we remember back when we saw in Matthew 6, again, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And last week when we talked about stewardship, we talked about Luke chapter 16. And if you look in Luke chapter 16, just a couple of pages over, there's a story that talks about stewardship more than any other story in all the Bible. Jesus tells the story of a steward who had wasted his master's goods. He was called into account for wasting the goods and ultimately was fired. He was relieved of his stewardship, okay? And then at the end of that story, when you get down to verses 10 and 11, he, he kind of sums it up with this lesson, and he says, look, he that's faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore... Ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, money. Who will commit to your trust the true riches? Do you understand that our we are stewards. It, our life on planet earth as Christian people, it's just a test. Our life on this planet, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, whatever God gives us, okay, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vapor in comparison to eternity. Praise God, we live forever with him. To not lay up a head for that because he says we should, wow, that, that's just, that just doesn't make sense. And he says, this steward was given a stewardship. He was given a little bit, and he didn't do it right. And because he was unjust and little, God now knows, oh, okay, you'd be unjust and much too then. 
Or if you prove yourself faithful in little, he says, oh, okay, sure. You'd be, you've proven the principle. The amount is, is just secondary. It doesn't matter how much the amount is. You have to prove the principle, see? And that's what he's saying. So who's going to trust to you true riches if you don't handle money right? That slippery slope. What are the true riches that Jesus speaks of? What are they? Well, flip over another page or two. We're going to look in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 starts out with a familiar story. Most of the kids in Sunday school have figured out this story by now, the story of Zacchaeus. And of course, Zacchaeus was this unbelieving, evil guy. He was a tax collector. He robbed from people. He, he padded his own bank account off of the backs of other people by overtaxing them and lying and cheating and that sort of a thing. He was a very corrupt dude. Jesus ends up passing by and Zacchaeus has him over to his house for dinner. Jesus spends the time there and Zacchaeus gets saved. He repents. He, he turns his heart over to the Lord Jesus and, and in order to just prove his repentance, he says, look, whatever I've stolen from anybody, I'll pay it back fourfold. Unbelievable proof of the fact that his heart was right with God. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Because he gave money? No, he's not buying his salvation. Of course not. He gave his heart to the Lord Jesus, and it's proven out by the fact that he's willing to restore whatever it is was wrong that was a part of his life before. And that's the awesome thing. That's the story. It's about salvation. And so he goes on in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, and he says, For the Son of Man has come. Why did Jesus come to this earth? You ever ask yourself that question? Here's the answer. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable. Because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Now that's important. Because Jesus is coming off this story of a guy getting saved. And they're traveling along and they're near Jerusalem. And he knew that the disciples were thinking, this kingdom, that Jesus is going to be the king and set this thing up, is, it's going to appear. It's going to appear quickly. And so on the basis of that thought, Jesus enters into another parable, starting in verse number 12. We alluded to this a little bit last week. And the parable starting in verse number 12 is directly on the heels of this context of the kingdom immediately appearing. And so this is a story, and if you went from verse 12 all the way down to 27, we're not going to read it all. It's this story. There's a nobleman, and he has this wealth, and he goes off to a far country and he's going to receive his kingdom and he's going to return and he tells unto his servants and he gives them this phrase occupy until i come we read that today and we make and it makes us think okay i'm going to occupy my spot i'm going to sit right here and not do nothing until he comes back that's not what it means the word occupy literally means to buy to sell to trade make a profit so it says that he had 10 servants and he said that he had 10 pounds. And he gave each servant a pound. And when he came back, he wanted to see what each servant had done with the pound that he had given to them. And he went to the first, and he calls them into account. And the first one says, your pound has gained 10 pounds. And he says, wow, well done. That's awesome. You did a great job. And the reward that comes to the guy who earned 10 pounds, it says that you can rule over 10 cities, verse number 17. 
And he goes to the other guy and he says, your pound has gained five pounds. And he says, man, awesome, you did a great job. Now you've been faithful and least to this level. At that same level now, I will give you the rule over five cities. And the third guy says, you know what? I got your pound right here. I've been hiding it. I didn't invest it. I didn't do anything with it. I didn't lose it. Safe and sound, shiny as ever. Here's your pound. And the Lord rebukes him because he didn't engage. He didn't participate. He didn't invest. He just sat on it. He didn't do anything at all. And he takes away the pound from that guy and he gives it to the guy who's already got 10. And the people are like, wow, he's already got 10. Why are you giving it to him? And he says, that guy didn't invest what I trusted to him. I entrusted it to him with the goal of multiplication, not just to hide it, not just to sit on He didn't lose it, but he didn't gain anything with it either. And he had excuses. He said, Lord, you're an austere man, meaning you're a difficult man to work for, and you frequently you know, um, reap where you have not sown. And he says, yeah, you know what? I don't really care about your excuses. At the end of the day, you didn't invest. And so I'm going to take away what little bit you already had. And that's what the story says. You know what? You know what the story's all about? The kingdom of God might immediately appear. The story is all about our millennial inheritance. The story is about one day the sky's going to open up and Jesus Christ is going to come down and he is going to rule and reign on planet earth for 1,000 years and together with him is going to be the church, the body of Christ. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be a part of that glorious returning of the Lord and we will be a part literally of his governmental structure. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords on the throne of David in the temple in Jerusalem and we will be given areas of this world, geographical boundaries, some towns, villages, cities, regions, nations in a governmental structure, in a theocracy where God, Theos, is on the throne above all and all report to the Lord Jesus and we as the church rule and reign with him for a thousand years. It's really going to happen. The Bible says it's going to happen. It's a story a lot of you have heard and maybe some of you haven't, but it's the way it's going to work out. He has warned us in advance. And your whole life right now is just a test. It's just a test. Are you going to be a faithful steward with the little bitty bit that you have right now? Because when you prove your faithfulness with whatever you have, you will be rewarded accordingly. And in this story, I don't know if it'll actually work out this way, it's absolutely linear. <laughs> For you non-math guys, it means he earned it tenfold, he got ten cities. He earned it fivefold, he got five cities. It's a one-for-one -one ratio. <laughs> That's very interesting. How much can God trust us with what he's given us? It's totally up to us. It's absolutely and totally up to us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11, 12, and 13. You've got to see this. You've got to get this. It's a faithful saying. Written to Timothy. We're in the church age. It's a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. That's your salvation. If you've been crucified with Christ, if you've surrendered your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus, you absolutely for sure will live with him in eternity. Hallelujah. It goes on, verse 12. If we suffer, 
we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. So verse 11 deals with our entering into eternal life. Verses 12 and 13 now deal with our rewards as a result of how we live our lives out. And it says, if we suffer, it's conditional. We'll reign with him. Do you realize that ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ for a thousand years? Ask think, think first, how old are you? I'm 50 and a little. To me, that's a really long time. Okay, compared to a thousand, nothing. Then eternity after that, that's, that's even more. But for a, th- a thousand years, oh my goodness. And he makes it very clear that the condition for ruling and reigning with Christ is this thing called suffering. In other words, it's sacrifice. It's being willing, it's like an investment program. Being willing to do without now to delay the gratification through discipline for later. And if you just don't invest in that, you just don't believe what he says. You just don't. And you would never call God a liar, but you just don't believe it. You just don't think it's true because you don't get involved. And he makes it very clear that that's exactly how it works. Being faithful in the least so that you can be faithful in much. Being faithful in mammon so that you can have true Riches. What are true riches? It's your millennial inheritance. It's your position for a thousand years. It's your love to Christ. It's your rewards in eternity. Why invest in the kingdom of God now? Because it's just good planning. It's just smart. It's your reward for a thousand years. You lay up your inheritance. That's what you do. So you're here and you say, I'm in. How do I get started? What do I do? I want to tell you exactly how you need to get started. Because all through the Bible, God lays out a system for giving to him, okay? And that system is called a tithe. That word tithe just means a tenth, 10%, one-tenth. That's what it means. And we're not going to take a long Bible study about a tithe. That would be an interesting Bible study for another day. But the tithe is very clearly not just an Old Testament law issue, something that was under the Mosaic law exclusively. Some people want to teach that that's true. That's not true. And the thing I want to show you is a couple of key things. The first time that the word tithe ever appears in your Bible, it's in Genesis chapter 14. And it's the story of Abraham. And Abraham goes out to battle and he wins his battle and he comes back and he meets a guy by the name of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a unique guy. He's an individual. He's a Gentile priest. He's a type and a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and he blesses Abraham when he returns from the battle. And Abraham pays tithes to Melchizedek. And the lesson of Abraham and Melchizedek And the first time God ever put the word tithe in the Bible is before the law. The law comes at Moses. Abraham is before Moses. So this is a time where God is just giving things by promise. It's just fulfilling his grace. This has nothing to do with a law. And Abraham gives his tithe in this story 
to an individual who is a picture and a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that when you give your tithe, you should give it the way Abraham did. You should give your tithe to a specific person. It's not me. It's not First Baptist Church. It's not anybody. It is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the second time the word tithe appears in your Bible? It's still before the law. Now it's Jacob, Abraham's grandson, okay? And we see Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. And before the Old Testament law, Jacob offers a tithe to God at a place that is called Bethel, Bethel, okay? And literally that word Bethel means the house of God. So the first time the word tithe is ever used before the law, we, we learn who is the person of the giving. It's the Lord Jesus. The second time the word tithe is ever used, we learn the place of the giving, and that is the house of God. In today's application, the house of God, 1 Timothy 3.15, is clearly the church of the living God. That's where we're to bring our tithes. That's what it's all about. It is re-emphasized in great detail all throughout the Old Testament law. I want to give you just a very quick summary. You don't have to write it down. Just listen. Here's the summary. This would be a, different, a good Bible study for another day. In the Old Testament law, the tithes were primarily animals and vegetables. In the New Testament, it's primarily money. Uh, in the Old Testament, it supported the priests and the function of the temple. In the New Testament, it supports the pastors and the function of the church ministries. In the Old Testament, it was collected every three years. In the New Testament, it's collected the first day of every week. That would be Sunday. In the Old Testament, it was given to a place called the storehouse. In the New Testament, it says, lay it by in store in 2 Corinthians. In the Old Testament, there were not only tithes, but there were additions to the tithe that was called offerings. And in the New Testament, it says, as a man purposes in his heart, so let him give even above that. So you say, I'm all in. I need to get started. How do I get started? What do I do? That's where you start. You start where everybody started. All throughout history in God's system, it's a tithe. That's where you start. As you grow in the Lord and trust Him more and desire to invest even more, then you begin to give offerings above and beyond your tithe. Many of you do that faithfully, for example, in our missions budget. That's a great place to do that. Okay? You build from there. But where do you start? That's where you start. Live within your means. That's being content. Not coveting things that you don't have. And invest in things that matter. That's how we should live our lives, as good stewards of the resources God has given to us. Live within your means. That may mean you have to make some choices. Do without some things that maybe you're, you're over-budgeted. I don't know. And invest in things that matter. Let me just say this. Do you know what the ultimate investment is above any of this stuff? Is to make sure that you have given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you are not 100% sure that God forbid your physical life ended today, that you'd have a home in heaven, all this investing in the kingdom stuff, that, that, that doesn't matter until you settle this issue. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He was the one without sin. He didn't have to die. The wages of sin is death. 
and He gave you the free gift of eternal life. He offers it to you in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He says, if you will have Me as your Lord and Savior, you get this eternal life. And if you have never personally asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, if you have never personally received the gift of eternal life, asked Him to come into your heart and in your life to forgive you and give you that gift of eternal life, that's the once and for all investment that you've got to make. Nothing else matters without that investment. That's the thing that puts you on the right road. I want us to pray together. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.